There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. My guest for this episode is Mr. Dane Williams from the great city of Memphis, Tennessee, the western of the three states that make up the one state of Tennessee, because anybody from Tennessee will tell you they are three states in one. So, Dane Williams, how's it going, man? Thanks for being here. Man, thanks for having me. Excited to be on the show, for sure. I've been listening for a long time. Obviously, supportive of what you do, and I appreciate you uh, you having me on. So, you are part of the Knuckleheads crew. We have earlier today, we do some batch recording around here. We had JC Wagaman on. I'm not sure exactly when these episodes drop. Uh, so you guys may be back to back. I don't know yet. But knucklehead number two of the day that we record. And uh, it is a very distinct privilege to have someone on who's a personal friend, who's become close in the industry. We have a lot of variety of conversations in our little group chat thing. So we're going to just grip it and rip it. Y'all, Dane has a great story. Uh, he's into some very interesting things, has a little bit of a non-traditional background of how he came to the insurance world. Why don't we start there, bud? Go ahead and give us that backstory, and then we'll just go right into the rest of the conversation. Yeah, so I, uh, I graduated college. I grew up here in the Memphis area and graduated college 2009 when jobs were bountiful and everyone was just offering jobs to all of these recent college graduates. So uh, I said, Hey, I, no one's hiring anyone. What am I going to do? I've got this journalism, public relations degree. I got to figure this out. Mm. And a buddy of mine started a construction company and said, you need a job. I need salespeople. You, you just work for me now. Like you're going to do some insurance restoration work and you're going to learn about roofing. I was like, I, I don't know anything about roofing, man, but like, okay, let's, let's figure it out. And uh, we got into it and we grew his business really big, really quick. And like within a year and a half, we were going from we're in this like closet of a building with no heat in the winter to multi-million dollar business and life's rock and rolling and things are going well. I um, mean, I hated it. Uh, I was like the roofer that doesn't do heights and all these things where it's like, well, this is not great. Like I, this is not for me. And he knew I hated it. So I had a sabbatical in logistics for a year because I live in Memphis where FedEx is home and there's a trillion logistics companies. So you've got to serve your year of logistics and uh, did that. Mm. I worked another little stretch in roofing and then I, I became a financial advisor at the same company, more or less that I'm at now. I did that for five years and they said, hey, we want to launch PNC. Dane, you're uniquely networked with some independent contractors and some real estate folks. We'd love to have you partner with us in this and, and be off and running. And we jumped in, having never worked a single day in property and casualty, had a life insurance license, health insurance license, but never uh, anything PNC related, and just said, all right, we'll figure it out. We can understand conceptually the coverages from a financial planning perspective. We can try to make sure that we're advising our clients well, that they're protected well, and we'll figure out the rest $100 at a time. And we did. Absolutely just set piles of cash on fire that first year with some stuff that was far too much for what we were doing and uh, kind of struggled our way through some things. But that was January of 2018. We're five years in now. And, uh, you know, things are, things are going really well. We're, we're, we're happy with how things are growing and optimistic about the future of it for sure. So before we started recording, you gave a little bit more context than the high-level overview you just did there. Your role at your shop, uh, Shoemaker Insurance Services, you are a partner there. You are predominantly in the personal lines department, right? 
Correct. Yeah, we've kind of got three specific arms within this one company. We've got uh, commercial, which is our newest division, personal lines, which is, has been what I was tasked with launching from the very beginning. And then we've had group benefits, which has been a part of the financial planning firm for 35, 40 years. Oh, yeah. I mean, benefits and financial services go hand in glove for sure. What was the experience like being a financial planner and switching over to the dark side, so to speak, yeah. with personal lines PNC? Because the model... Uh, were you guys broker-dealer or an RIA model? Yeah, so we had a broker-dealer. Securian is our broker-dealer that we have on that side. And when we worked our way through things, it was unique because I was an okay financial advisor. I wasn't great. Mm -hmm. I put in the effort, but a, a lot of the guys that started with me that had a little bit more success than I did also had different backgrounds than I had, different connections than I had. I, I, didn't, I didn't know people with money, so I didn't have anybody to call on with money. And it was an adjustment for me for sure. And that's why I was just okay with it. I didn't just really hit the ground running and have a massive book of business that I was leaving behind when I made the transition. So I was a little okay with that. It was also a little too much of a blank page for me in that I didn't have the most clear way for how I was going to get the business. In PNC, even, even in most of insurance anyways, there's a pretty clear line of if you want to get business, here's some ways that you can do it, right? For personal lines, we call on real estate a lot of times or other financial planners or, or things that we could turn to. For some of your commercial prospects, you've got specific businesses you know you're calling on, you know the people within those organizations. It was kind of a, well, anybody who's breathing could more or less be a financial planning prospect. So that crippled me a little bit because I had too many options and too many different things that I could do. And making the transition to PNC, but specifically personal lines, made it so much clearer for me, here is your target, go get it. And we've been off and running. No, I love it. What is your target? What does that look like for you how have you found the lane that you like to run in, in the PNC side of things? Yeah. So with personal lines being the, the predominant focus, the thought process initially was we've got thousands of financial planning clients that would buy more from us if we had more to sell them. If we started doing taxes, they'd let us do taxes. Like things are going well in that regard. So let's go ahead and launch personal lines. Typically our clientele is going to be a little more affluent than just your typical main street agency that we've got here in Memphis. And let's figure it out. And now as we're, you know, five years in at this point, I would imagine our financial planning clients make up 35% of our personal lines book. And the rest of it's come from either real estate referrals, marketing initiatives we have, or just kind of being active in the community. And we still have a truckload of people that we just haven't tapped in the financial planning book, but that's because, you know, we're, we're running really hard on the other stuff and it's, it's working. So. So 65% of the book is coming organically through channel partners, through local stuff. I'm guessing a lot of that is through your personal efforts. What's your team look like at Shoemaker on, on your division with personal lines? Uh, we'll get into the commercial side of things and how you guys are, are trying to bridge that gap between personal and commercial in my next question. But just strictly with the, your team and personal lines, what does that look like from a staffing perspective from just daily operating? Yeah, so we've, this has been an evolution consistently, right? So initially uh, it, it was me, like, let's have another person that's just, you be me too, right? And we'll have two producers and we'll just go sell and we'll make it work. And we did that for a handful of years. And then it's like, all right, let's, this is not working incredibly well. And then I was getting at capacity pretty quickly. So I brought in someone that I was calling her a sales assistant, right? I would have an initial discovery call. She'd take all the information. She'd run all of our quotes. She'd build all of our presentations, give it back to me to go sell. I'd sell it. We were operating that way for up until a good portion of this year. And just recently, uh, I've got other personal lines producers as well, but uh, bringing in someone that's more or less going to be taking uh, a lot of that client-facing stuff off of my plate and having someone whose role is to effectively be that for, be me to the clients uh, as far as uh, initial sales, any you know fires that come up as it relates to some of the service things. And then my job will just be to make sure that we're, we're making the phone ring and we've got people that want us to quote their insurance. Makes sense. You know, that, that's the only way to scale, right? You've got to get out of that front lines role. The client facing role is great, but you're either a producer or you're an executive. There really isn't anything in between. Because if you're a producer, that's also an executive. Okay, well, you can be great at one or the other. I don't think you can be truly great at both at the same time. Uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it's tough for sure. I feel like there are times when I am serving one master better than the other, managing people and developing people, making sure our processes are working well. And then other times where it's like, 
okay, our processes are a total mess, but man, we are just selling it like crazy. So let's just get that revenue coming in and we'll, we'll try to figure it out on the back end, right? So I, I that can, baby. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And, and uh, we've got some things that's like, all right, we know we probably need to fix that uh, mm-hmm. down the road and things that we're actively working on. But it's funny because I don't know that I've really just thrived in both roles ever. So I'm interested to see kind of this next evolution as, as we get into 23 how that changes things and how uh, we're able to shift and, and continue to grow. So you shared before we started recording that very recently you guys opened up the commercial side of things, which of course is my bread and butter. I absolutely love that side of the world. We're basically opposite you and I. You guys are 85, 90% personalized and, and growing a commercial book and I'm exactly the opposite. We're 85, 90% commercial and trying to figure out what the plan is with personal. No, never mind. I don't have to beat around the bush as I just remember that I've already shared this with a previous recording earlier this week. I'm not sure exactly when this goes out, but unless it's in the next 30 days, we're selling our personal lines book and going a hundred percent commercial and real estate. And, you know, we'll be partnering with a local office to refer out the home and auto stuff. But within the next probably 30 to 60 days, Riskwell doesn't do personal lines anymore at all. So we have opposite perspectives, which I think is really interesting for this episode. Talk to me about how the let's open up commercial went, because the two could not be more different. The sales process, the way that account management works, like commercial and not even middle market, just regular bread and butter, small commercial, pretty different from personal lines, certainly different from the typical flow of daily operating on a financial services and benefits side. So Talk to me about that perspective of, hey, we need to do commercial and then finding someone to lead that out and go from there. What's that been like for you? It's been interesting for sure, uh, because we had initially uh, a guy that runs benefits for us and myself were like, look, we can figure this out. You call on businesses for benefits and I'm PNC licensed and I totally know this stuff now, which we didn't. Neither one of us did. We, we were kind of hacking away at it that first couple of years. We had opportunities. Again, we got clients that want to buy more from us if we got more to sell them. So let's see what we can do. And it wasn't anything massive. It wasn't anything that was just like, man, you're really going to screw this up if you don't know it. Uh, and we had some gracious underwriters that uh, and, and carrier reps that spent far too much time with us it was some early cases uh, before we were eventually like, we got to find somebody that can do this and be in this spot full time. So we, we hired uh, a producer from another shop in town, a guy that we knew, and we didn't have to, what it would take me four hours to do, he gets done in 30 minutes, right? Just because he knew it and he didn't have to call 14 people to figure out how to do these things. And, and that's been a good adjustment for us. You mentioned uh, how we had kind of like an 85-90 split. Honestly, you know, commercial takes up a bigger piece for us than you'd think, but it's only because we've landed a handful of like just some really good sized cases that, that have helped with that. And uh, that's been beneficial towards boosting the revenue on that side. But for the most part, it, it's been something where we've got these opportunities. We're continuing to uncover more opportunities every single day on our personal line side and in financial planning. We said, this is just an opportunity we've got to make sure that we capture in, in some capacity. And it's allowed us to just really kind of build a wall around it for our clients. That is exactly the opposite of what I thought you were going to say. Good for you, man. Way to get those big accounts in, you know, as a, as a newer commercial shop leveraging those relationships that you already had has got to be the only way that those big things come over so quickly. Yeah, we had, uh, when we were in Phoenix last April, uh, you and I had a conversation about an opportunity we had just gotten. It was 35 apartment complexes. Yeah. Um, what, like, what, did you end up getting that? Yeah, we got that. So like, hey, this, oh, man. Uh, six figures and revenue. Like, I mean, it's like, hey, we're, we're doing this thing really quick. Like, let's let's go. Dude, um, congrats. I am so glad that worked out for you. That's got to feel really good. It, it does, but it, it's something where we had some unique things that he was already a financial planning client of ours. He moved his personal lines to me and, and we were having some good personal lines conversations with this guy. And I, I caught him on a day. He was in uh, a part of the, the country that got destroyed by a, a tornado or something. And he was having some rough experiences with his current carrier. And I called him to add a boat or something for him, something just personalized service. And he says, man, you caught me on a bad day. He says, I hate insurance. And I said, yeah, me too, man. Like I used to caught you on a real good day. I hate insurance too. Let's talk about it. And uh, we jumped in and started diving. He just wanted to vent and go off about it and started talking about how this claim wasn't being handled really well. I was like, well, man, why don't you let us do that? 
And I said, yeah, you can take a shot at it. Sure, here you go. Here's everything we need. My person will call you. And he sends me this massive list of properties with stuff that I don't fully understand. And hmm. I pull my commercial guy in. I'm leaning on guys like you and some others where it's like, hey, let's just see if we can get this figured out. And we ended up finding a great solution and you know, been off and running ever since. So what do you do in, I'm guessing it's in the Memphis area, right? Or is it just all over the place? Yeah, it's probably with 33 complexes. They're spread across Tennessee, Kentucky, I can't remember where the other states are, but uh, bulk the bulk of it's in Tennessee and Kentucky. I know how we would handle something like this. A lot of people listening to this podcast have no idea what to do with a six-figure revenue account, well over a million dollars in premium altogether, I'm sure. What was the approach there? How did you start taking bites out of that elephant? Let's just camp out here for a second. Oh, I, I wish I was going to have some incredibly insightful things, but I learned very quickly that I was out of my depth here. Uh, and that's something that I, I feel like I don't know that I would have been bold enough to do in those first two years uh, to, to say, hey, you don't know what you're doing. Stop trying to figure it out. Mm. And I, I really said, all right, there's, there's three of us in the room. I got the, the benefits guy, I've got the commercial guy, and there's me. And it's like, I don't need to be involved in this. Yes, I've uncovered this need. Yes, I, I've gotten him to say yes to taking a swing at this but I'm going to be the dumbest one in this room. So that's fine. They're competent guys. I have no doubt in their ability to uh, handle the relationship well. Let me make sure that we've made all the introductions correctly. And then let me get out of the way. As far as what happened, and even, man, I, I couldn't tell you the stack of carriers we put them with because that was not my role and I did not need to be involved in it. So you handed it off to your commercial guy and made sure the introductions were made. I'm guessing this it sounds like this probably was an ENS package, probably a scheduled form that recruited some primary layers and then several excess layers on the property and the GL and excess and, and probably just made one nice big roll up of the whole thing. But you got out of the way because you recognized that somebody else in your team was better suited. Yeah, bravo, man. It takes a lot of self-awareness to be able to step back from a very large account and you know recognize that someone else may be a better fit. Yeah, it's... Uh... That's been a, an area of growth for me. I haven't always been uh, able and willing to do that. I, I think there are people that absolutely know me from previous years of my life where they would describe me as, hey, he's a bit of a control freak. He, he's someone that doesn't let go incredibly well. And managing people and uh, support staff and all the things that come with that has been an exercise that has really caused me to have to grow in that because I realize I'm going to work myself into an early grave or we're going to uh, just continue to let things drop through the cracks until I'm willing to let, let go of some things. And it's been, it's been a good area of, uh, of growth for me, for sure. Now, the growth that you talked about, you know, a little bit before we got on the call was in regards to figuring out the commercial position. Now, with you being a partner, with you being pulled in multiple directions, you know, you're both a producer and you're an equity partner in the, in the company. What is it like getting something stood up and figuring out, you know, who is this person that's going to steer the ship and then, you know, building out a team because it doesn't matter who you put in that role. If they're by themselves, they're not set up for success. And so, you know, figuring out how do we grow this thing when you don't necessarily have a lot of expertise in that particular side of the insurance world, what's that process been like for you figuring out how do we get from zero to one and from one to two and so on? Yeah, it's, uh, I wish we had it figured out, but unfortunately, I don't feel like I've got a great answer there yet. We're still stumbling through it, uh, trying to figure out exactly what the, the best way is. I, I think it's funny because we've consistently been an organization that's been marked by, we're going to take some of these leaps that we may not know a whole heck of a lot about yet. Uh, and, and we'll dive in and maybe initially we've brought somebody in that's got some experience in it. Maybe we're jumping in with all of us completely green and we're going to just figure it out together. But it's been unique to see that that's been kind of our organization's path and how we've consistently found, all right, this, this is a new problem, a new struggle for us to try to overcome. Let's see how we do it. And it's going well. I'm excited about the growth and how it's a, a profitable division for us now. And as we're trying to figure out, all right, who do we add? How do we add them? What does this next person look like? This next role do we need? Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say that we've got it figured out yet. Not, not a ton of clarity as to exactly what it's going to look like. As you say, all right, we need more account managers. We need people to be prospecting. We, we need to figure all of it out. I don't know. Um, it, it's, it's something where we're kind of working our way through it while also trying to say, like, let's make sure our knowledge base is diversified so that if I need to learn more commercial stuff just because I, I'm going to be in more of those conversations and I, I need to make sure that mm -hmm. we can handle it better if somebody gets hit by a bus, if, if things happen to where... We've got to just 
be better as a whole and more well-rounded as as some of the you know integral players. That's something that that is definitely on the plan for 2023. Love it. Do you mind if I dig in a little bit there? We can just talk shop on this because the right people in the right seats, I just find to be terribly interesting. So is it only one person right now on commercial? It is, yeah. Uh, You you hired this person as a producer, I'm guessing, right? Correct. Yeah, that that was his role at another shop. He came over and is doing the same thing. Cool. But it's production. uh, It's funny, a lot of his stuff, he had some accounts that he was able to have come with him, right? Which is great. Yeah. But he had uh, a lot of stuff to where that hardcore prospecting piece wasn't something that we felt like we needed initially. Well, you've got a, a great existing pipeline for opportunities to come over. So I would imagine uh, that side of the producer role is uniquely uh, positioned for you guys, you know, having a long tenured benefits and financial services arm. Yeah, it's been helpful for sure. And, and it's not that he's not out prospecting and doing a great job at all, but it's something where we we recognize that we did have some opportunities that were going to be different from a lot of other shops. So let's make sure we're, we're leaning in best we can. Well, Similarly, let me just uh, turn it. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Finish you're, you're, your thought. Right people in the right seats, right? It's something to where there have been seasons of my life when I've been absolutely convicted that this is what we need right now for whatever this organization is that I'm a part of in any given moment and having the humility to get a little ways past it and a little ways into it and go, you know what, maybe that wasn't it. Maybe that wasn't where I needed to be just right now. And while you may have had conviction about it at the time, don't be afraid to pull the plug and and steer the ship a little bit differently than maybe you, you thought it needed to go initially. It's interesting hearing your perspective on this because RiskWell doesn't have, other than myself, we don't really have any producers and we don't have anybody else that is going out and pounding the pavement and trying to make things happen. We're almost 100% inbound. Uh, And this is something we've talked about on the podcast before that we're finding ways to be more outbound and be more traditional producer, you know, the hunter killer kind of role rather than the farmer. But we have a bunch of inside salespeople. We don't really have any outside sales. And the line between account executive and inside sales is very, very, very blurry. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, hearing the way that this goes for your office, standing up a new department is a very interesting proposition because a lot of folks out there, most of the folks out there, I, I statistically, are personal lines focused. And everybody wants to do commercial or at least is curious about doing commercial, about hiring a commercial producer and growing their commercial book because we can all see how it's going in personal lines. You don't have to have a crystal ball to realize that five or 10 years from now, the number of policies that are being written through an embedded or a direct-to-consumer or some sort of technology-based solution is a lot higher percentage than it is today. Sorry. Um, apparently Siri thought I was talking to her just then. That was weird. You said embedded, embedded, and she just knew this is, this is me. So the whole concept of standing up commercial, I think is really interesting. Let's, I don't know anything about this producer. Let's just say for a second uh, that they're doing what they need to be doing as a producer. What do you guys think about building around that? You've got this, this bucket of really quality, warm cross-sell opportunities from the financial services practice. You know, you got someone who's, again, I don't know anything, is the least reasonably competent producer. What do you put around someone like that to take it to the next level? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So the same way we did with personal lines, right? When we realize we've got opportunity to have people to to quote, and we've got somebody that we feel like is a, you know competent enough to be able to, to close some deals, to be able to represent us well, to be able to help steer the ship in that way, and that we can say, you are competent to be in charge of this for now. And let's go ahead and let you be the face of this. Let's let you build this. And then let's put some support staff around you to make sure that you have what you need and, and really put you as, as the one that's out there generating the business, right? Um, whether that is leaning into our financial services clients, whether that is leaning into our personalized clients and just making sure that everybody that's selling personalized for us says, hey, by the way, you have anybody that's doing this? We're, we're really competitive at whatever right now. Making sure that to a lot of our people that are already sending us business, they know that we're killing this and they're managing those relationships well. And then we've got the support staff to be able to back that up. That's the thought process we have behind the way that we've launched new things. And it's worked for us thus far, right? It hasn't always been the smoothest ride, 
Uh, we haven't always uh, really thrived right out of the gates, but it's something where we found our way and, and we're, we're keeping the lights on and life's going well. So, Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. Man, I love the struggle well kind of methodology of, you know what, we're going to do two or three things and we'll figure out which one works best and stop doing what doesn't work and double down on what does work. And kudos to you, man. It sounds like Shoemaker doesn't have any problem, uh, you know, taking a swing at something and seeing if it works out or not. Yeah, you know, it's being willing to to take a risk. And even when you look at the way that we market ourselves and, and it, it's all on an individual side, one on the financial services side, there's so much compliance that um, one of the <laughs> yeah. reasons I, I was so excited to, to oh, make this man. transition, it was like, I'm going to go ahead and give up my Series 7 and 66 as quick as possible and be done with you, Fenra, because no. now I can just like <laughs> say whatever I want. Right. Yeah. No, I'm I'm done. So that was phenomenal to where it's like, no, I'll just, I'll make social media posts and not have to have 16 people bless it before I can hit post. Like, this mm. is great. I swear one of these days, I need to program one of these buttons on my board here to go, bye Felicia, <laughs> yes, <laughs> or in yes. some way just have like a get out of my office. Mine was the same way, man. When I was a farmer's agent, I was a registered representative of the broker mm-hmm. dealer and I had my six and 63 and never got the seven or 65 or any of those things. I couldn't get rid of that dang license fast enough. The last conversation I had with our FINRA compliance person, I basically was like, I'm selling the agency. Bye. Like, you're never going to get to torment me ever again. And there was a lot of strings attached after the agency was sold. Because, I mean, there were still accounts that had to make sure that they were handled correctly. But, man, the move away from anything remotely related to the financial services world and I think of Eric Garcia. He's another one of our colleagues that is in both worlds, both financial services and PNC insurance. It's like they could not be more different, those two worlds. So the fact that you guys have been able to do it successfully, bravo. Very, very excited for what's next for for you and your team. Well, it's something when I was making the transition, giving up those licenses, it's like I still had a book of business that was going to continue to pay me if I kept the licenses. But there was some level of, uh, I think it was Hernando Cortez. He, he would go, he was an explorer, right? And, and when mm-hmm. he would land at a new land, he'd burn the ships. He said, yep. Guys, there's, there's no going back. We don't get to go back home. We have to make it work here. And there was some level of like, when you give up those licenses, like, man, you don't want to sit through those tests again. Like, you got to make this work. There's no chance to go be another financial advisor and just muddle your way through this. This has to work. And it, it's something where I've been very pleased with the transition. It's been a lot of fun. Man, that... It's, it's just the coolest thing. I, I love the whole innovate and do new things approach. That is definitely one of my very favorite things about being a business owner. So there is no possible way that I can make a smooth transition between these two. So I'm going to have my trusty little whoosh sound effect. And we're going to go into the next thing, which is your podcast has been wildly successful, my friend. Uh, and you. it is locally focused. Uh, it is not an insurance podcast at all. Uh, you got there a lot sooner than most people. You've got 80 something episodes. You said, if anybody wants to find you, it is the keys to the 901, which is the key key exchanges. Sorry. Yeah. The key exchanges in the 901, which is your area code there for most of the Memphis area. Yeah. Awesome, man. Tell me about that. How did your local podcast get started? What was the inspiration there? Yeah. So it was, um, it was unique because this was, um, 2020 is when we launched it. Like uh, COVID has locked everything down it was and all a the COVID fun events. inspiration. Okay. There, there, well, something aware. Uh, actually, I had an insurance podcast for, I don't know, maybe a year or so before that. We started it. And the thought process was, again, the intent to empower my real estate referral partners 
with some insurance knowledge. So if you've got, you know, first time home buyers, well, look, I've got a 12 minute episode on what they need to know about insurance as they're buying their first home. And you can just send them the thing. And that, that was the goal behind it. And it wasn't incredibly well thought out. It wasn't really well done. And it died after like 10 episodes uh, because we just weren't built for it. But it gave me the knowledge to know how to do it. And then I'm like, okay, well, let's go back and try again. You know, it's six months went by, eight months went by, and we're, we're now into COVID times. People aren't getting to meet each other. I said, we just need to find a way to get people to connect. So it, it's a real estate focused podcast. The tagline we use is, these are the conversations that help every key change hands in Memphis real estate. So mm. a lot of times it's interviewing real estate agents and lenders and title companies and whatnot, but predominantly real estate uh, people, some developers. But it's been a ton of fun just to be able to connect with people in that market and really just dive in. There are a lot of people that I had to start shifting some of the things I was doing within the show because they would think I was a real estate agent. They would think that I'm, I'm more in that industry because I really just jumped in with both feet. So now every interview I do, I make sure I ask an insurance question of them so that they can understand, no, no, hey, by the way, this is who I am. This is what I do. But it was something where I really got accepted by that industry pretty well because it, it really didn't come across as a sales pitch. It was incredibly authentic to where I really do just want to make sure people are connected. And from there, we grew in listenership. We grew where there were tons and tons of people following along and it could not have gone better from that. We're just wrapped up our second season trying to figure out exactly what we're going to do with it going forward because there's there's two interviews for every episode. So I've had 150 some odd uh, interviews that we've done at this point. And uh, you get to a point where it's like, all right, how many more times can I uh, sit there and talk to another real estate agent about buying and selling houses? And I'm going to double click on that in just a second. But first, I want to ask about how you were able to monetize those relationships. Because you said, you know, before we started recording, you get a, a lot of referrals that come from someone, either a real estate professional or someone that just happens to hear an interview of someone that they know, and they reach out and get some help with insurance. I'd love to understand how you were able to take the podcast and make it a lead gen tool. So it wasn't... I didn't think anybody was going to listen to it. If I'm going to be really honest, I thought it was going to be me finding referral partners that either were already sending me business or that I wanted to get to send me more business. And we'd have you on the show and I'd say nice things about you. And we get to tell your story a little bit. And your mom would listen and think that you're a good boy, James, that you, someone wanted to interview you, man. That's so great. Yep. And, uh, and that was going to be the end of it. And then I made it like three episodes in and I was like, oh no, there's a lot of people listening. I, I need to get better at this quickly because I didn't realize people were going to find it and want to hear it and all the things that go with that, right? So it was a unique spot to be in for sure to realize like, oh, wait, this is a, this is a whole different thing, right? That, that I've got to learn how to interview people and, and make sure that we're producing a good show. And from there, it was just dialing in because I, like I said, I had that issue where there were some people that were thinking, all right, maybe he's a realtor or something. He's in real estate somehow. And it's like, let, let me make sure I adjust off the bat and make sure as I'm introducing myself that I tell people that, hey, I'm, I'm your key connection for home insurance. And, and as we shift through, I'm going to ask an insurance question with every guest as we go through. And you sell a lot of condos. Let's talk about condo insurance and how it's different from regular home insurance and all the moving parts that go with that. I made sure that we were having an insurance conversation throughout there. So yes, you're here to listen to this highly successful agent and all the great things they're doing, but you're also going to get a little bit from me as well. And as we're signing off, here's how you get in touch with me. If you or your clients need to talk about home insurance, call me here, email me here, make sure we have this conversation. I want to talk to you. And if you know somebody that needs to be on the show, like let's reach out and have a conversation. And people started realizing I can reach out to him. I can have a conversation with him. Oh, he's the home insurance guy. And now it's, oh man, I, I have a conversation because we had a sewer line that's got an issue and I don't know who to call about this. Let me call Dane and see if insurance covers this. And they start answering those questions. You become a resource and we're off and running at that point. Once it builds up some level of critical mass, then, you know, the flywheel effect kicks in and it just starts going on its own. Well, I, I was really concerned about having credibility initially. I was like, no one's going to believe they're just, we're in my conference room in my office. They're going to think like, what the heck are we doing here? This isn't official. Like, how can I do this? And, and we weren't spending money on it yet. So it was like, uh, I don't know how to make this look legit without being legit. And honestly, I, I, not afraid to admit this because we, we've got a fairly similar setup in all of our gear that you have there, James. Pretty uh, legit setup now. But initially, I was like, all right, I've got some cheap like church. You know, every church has these like standard Sure microphones. They're 60 bucks or something like that. It looks like a karaoke mic at this point, you know, from what we were starting with. Yep. But I said, how do I make it look more official? And the answer was bigger mic stands. Like, I, I wish there was like something more, uh, you know, like, oh, this was the technical thing we did. And no, 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 bigger piece of metal. And people go, oh man, this seems legit. Look at this thing. It's got a boom arm. And like, here we are, right? 
And it, like, they weren't super practical. They weren't good at all. But people stepped in and were like, you're right. This is a, like, this is a podcast studio you have here, man. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. I'm very legit. Now let's make you <laughs> like, uh, feel loved. Right. And it's, it's silly that that's what it was and how it kind of gave me a little bit of credibility initially. And then having quality guests, having quality interviews, it all kind of set it running. I love it. That is so cool to hear about success and all of its flavors. I'm going to flip the coin over a little bit and talk about some of the challenges of you confessed before we started recording that at a certain point, and you alluded to it just a moment ago, it's like you start to ask yourself, you know, is my heart in this anymore? And you're a little bit going through the motions, almost feeling maybe, I don't mean to put words in your mouth here, but maybe feeling a little bit obligated to keep the machine running that you created. Yeah. What has that process been like of having those introspective moments and asking yourself, do we keep doing this? And if we keep doing it, does it stay in the same format? Does it change? How does it change? What's that process been like? I know you don't have resolution yet, but how, as you're noodling on this, what is that like, you know, unpacking what an end game or a big shift might look like? You know, it, it's, uh, it's been unique because I've gotten to do it once before at the end of the first season. We started in October of 2020 and we did a year straight. Every single week there was an episode. A couple weeks we did put out two just because I was dumb and I didn't realize don't do two. That's too much. But we powered through and I got close enough to where those last two months of that first year, I hated doing it. I batch record, so I do a whole month of episodes or interviews in, in one day. And there's there's two interviews per episode, right? So um, I'm going to record for eight to 12 hours in one sitting. And then I'm, I'm not going to have to work as much on it after that. Right. But I, I can burn a day. I can't do this every single week though. It's just something where I, I didn't have the capacity for it, enough systems to make everything else go. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to the end of season one, it's like, I'm tired. I don't know when I'm coming back. I, I, I ended that last show and said maybe two months, maybe three months and, and I'll be back. And it took me seven to actually have the drive to come back and do it again. It was something where I, I noticed like, all right, there's less conversations to and about me, less inbound, just less conversations because I'm not riding in the car with everybody else as they're running throughout their day. They're not listening uh, to the show as they're, they're doing their normal life. So it's like, okay, that this is profitable for me to do, but I am tired. So I took the break and I brought it back and I was charged up for a while. We introduced some video components to it to where I brought in a videographer who was making these great social media videos for us. And he would be there on the days that we would record and he'd you know, hand me back three 60 to 90 second clips uh, from every uh, episode. And now we've got stuff to post. And that was exciting to have this new visual component where people could see and kind of have a peek behind what's happening and, and really get to be exposed to the show without having to listen to an hour long episode. And I, I enjoyed that and that charged me up for a while, but also it'll only last so long. And it's like, man, I'm, I'm having another conversation with a real estate agent who I love and I love the industry and I'm supportive and all these things. But how many different ways can you ask somebody about how they sell houses differently from other people and how they love working with first time home buyers or downsides or whatever. It's like I had had most of the conversations. Yeah. And uh, we, we had some different style changes we did where we did some topical things together and we weren't all bio pieces, but still it, it was challenging. And, and you get to the end of this season now, we did another 30 episodes for season two and said like, okay, I'm taking a break and I don't know what it looks like. Finding a way to keep it fresh is a challenge. And whether it's just me needing to rest and recharge or whether it's, no, we're going to shift this and we're going to talk to business owners in Memphis or we're going to do something different. I, I don't know exactly what it is. I, I know I'm not probably done with it, but I don't know what it looks like going forward. I have some ideas if you're open to them. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Yeah, there, I think, you know, expanding it and keeping it real estate focused because it's so easy for you to get great opportunities if it's in the real estate world. It doesn't have to be owner-occupied. It can be investment uh, can be commercial, uh, can be the flippers and the rehabbers and the apartments and the mixed occupancy where you got retail on ground floor and habitational up above. But when you open up the parameters to literally any professional who's either serving the real estate community or actively involved as well, I mean, something as simple as property managers and hard money lenders and every flavor of construction and contractors and rehabbers and every trade from here to Timbuktu that serves the, you know, the residential or the real estate investor community. I mean, when you open up your scope like that, even without going into the commercial side of things and saying, Hey, the guy who does commercial tenant leases or sells commercial property or someone who does 
the thermoplastic membranes on commercial buildings or somebody who's you know installing HVAC stuff on top of a, a shopping center. There's so many different opportunities to stay quasi real estate focused, but then you just open up like dozens of different verticals that your audience is probably going, oh yeah, I would like to have a residential property manager on my short list where you can step outside of the, you know, we all know the stereotype, right? The realtor who got her headshot at JCPenney's 15 years ago and is still using the same headshot. Now she sells one property a month uh, and has to leave the showing because her kid has a soccer game at 4 p.m. We all know the stereotype. I, I can imagine how tiresome it might be to have a rinse and repeat of the same flavor over and over and over again. So I don't know if any of that is useful at all. And I know it's totally off the cuff, but you know. No, I think it's good. And it's something I I dip my toe in because one thing, there's more than 4,000 realtors in in the MIFS area on the residential side. So there's a good bit. And I've only had the the high-end ones, like as far as high producers anyways. And when you start going like, all right, there aren't more that are really producing at the level that I feel like I really have something interesting. Shouldn't there are, I just, I haven't gotten all of them, but Mm -hmm. it's hard. They're not as bountiful as it was initially. So I've dipped our toe and we've had some commercial brokers on and it's been fun when I've gone outside of that because that's been more engaging for me to get to think about something differently. This guy, I had one guy that he restores massive old buildings and I mean, he's incredibly wealthy. He's a part owner in the Memphis Grizzlies. There's a lot of great things. It's like, let's go ahead and just dive into how you determine we're going to restore a hundred year old building and what we're going to do there to turn it into apartments or condos or whatever it is you want to turn it into. Mm-hmm. Those have been encouraging. It's just a matter of trying to find those things that are also still going to resonate with my current audience because that, that's been the other thing. It hasn't always been like, hey, this is not what I was expecting. Who's this guy? So being okay with that and starting to kind of educate the audience on that is the next step too. What's to say that you're not evolving or morphing into some sort of celebrating the best and brightest of the Memphis area in general? It could be a key exchange from one business owner to another. It could be a key exchange of value from one Memphisite to another. I don't know what you guys call yourselves. Memphisan, Memphisite. What, what is it? What's the word? Memphians. 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 From yes. one Memphian to another. It could be a key exchange of value. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like I said. Right now, your boy just wants to take a nap. Uh, I'm tired. Uh, it's 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 been a ride. I'm sorry. I'll stop. I, I'm an yeah. idea factory. You can ask my team. It's annoying as crap sometimes. Yeah. But it's one of those things where I can tell that you care a great deal about it. So if, if you're going to put your baby to bed, let's make sure you shake out the shake the sheets out first. You know. Sure. For sure. No. no. We'll, we'll get it figured out. Now, here's the thing. I know Dane Williams well enough to know that whatever you put your mind to, you're going to be successful at it. That's just how you're wired. Uh, you don't know any other way. So as we get ready to land the plane here in this episode, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Anything uh, you want to get off your plate or off your chest, I mean, or current events you want to break into? Uh, I'll just hand you the mic. We can end the episode however you want to. No, you know, it's funny. Uh, one of the uh, the first times that I, I remember really engaging with your show uh, was one that I was like, hold on a sec, James and I are really similar. You and I had met at some conferences or something, but it's like a lot of my education in learning personalized insurance. I was like, wait a second, this was, this is a uh, Babylon. Wait, this is what I'm doing again. This is how I learned this. There's people that are actually telling me how to prospect and whatnot for personalized. This is great with uh, the GNN guys, right? That yeah. was where I cut my teeth and I heard you describe look, this was something that I was incredibly grateful for too, because I I was able to make that shift into independence uh, going through that. And now seeing just the uh, massive amount of incredibly talented insurance practitioners that have great podcasts out there right now that are sharing information. I'm just, I'm grateful to get to consume it all, let alone be a part and be friends with so many of you guys, because I know I am a drastically better insurance agent because of time spent with a lot of you guys, even though you don't realize you were spending time with me, that there's been a lot of education and honestly revenue into not just my business, but my house because of conversations uh, that you guys have had with, uh, with so many other talented people. And I, I'm just, I'm grateful to be a part of it. Yeah. I had no idea how much fun it was going to be. I started this begrudgingly. Basically, because Cass, uh, Jason Cass said that I needed to. Uh, I was the guest on several podcasts that had far above average downloads. And he basically said, 
you're a polarizing figure. You know, you have strong <laughs> opinions. I basically called me a, an asshole without calling me one. Yeah. Uh, it was like, you have strong opinions and people like hearing strong opinions and hot takes on podcasts. You need to start one. And I said no at first. And I was basically was like, I don't have time for this. I don't know how I'm going to do this and still run my agency because I mean, we're growing. That year, we grew 80% over prior year. You know, this past year in 2022, as we end, we're not going to hit 60, but we're going to be close. We're probably 56, 57% growth over prior year. And that's after four years. So, you know, 60% growth in your fourth year, doing something right. Yeah, it's like, I don't, I don't have time for a podcast. But you find time, you batch it like you did. I mean, you, you know how it's done. I'm more talking to the freedom jumpers out there. It really comes down to what is your why? Ryan Holiday. Is it Ryan Holiday? I keep on saying Ryan Holiday. Yeah, it is Ryan Holiday. Sorry. I called him Josh Holiday. <laughs> like, I was like, wait a second. That's a Phillies baseball player. Josh yeah, Holiday is not an author. It's like, I've been getting this guy's name wrong three or four times. Uh, but he wrote, The Obstacle is the Way. And one of the quotes, I think, I think I'm attributing it correctly, is you can overcome any how with a strong enough why. And it's like, it doesn't matter what the how is. If your why is strong enough, you're going to find a way to make the how work. Mm -hmm. and, and that is really how this podcasting thing has come about for me. It sounds like it's been exactly the same for you, man. Well, so. it, it is. It, because for me, it was, it was all about people. I, I, and that's why I'm in insurance as well. It's not because I love insurance or love financial services or anything like that. I love people. And insurance is the vehicle that allows me to interact and be yeah. around and be involved and love people well. Now, I love that you put me in the same breath as, uh, as Zach and Matt with, uh, with Babylon because I'd be lying if I said that they weren't an influence and an inspiration for the way that I do podcasting. I don't know if I'll ever have a regular co-host. I'm not opposed to the idea. I just don't know who would be the best fit. But the way that their energy projected, the, the enthusiasm, the the compassion for the client experience, the way that, that they ran their agency was really a, just a, incredible to learn uh, from an outsider because <laughs> the captive world could not be more different sure. than what they were doing up there at GNN. So anything else before we wrap up, man? I know you got a lot going on in your plate uh, with this holiday season that uh, we're currently in. What day is today, by the way? I think it's Thursday. I'm not sure. I think so, but I have no idea either. The, the week between Christmas and New Year's is so hard. You're literally just like, what do I do with myself? It's a holiday, but not really. Uh, is it work? Yeah, but not really. Because nobody's well, picking up the phone this week. Every day is Friday, it feels like. And it's like, I, I don't know. Like, everybody's gone from the office at, like, lunchtime just because, like, we, we felt like we showed up because we needed to. But what's really happening today? So I'm right there with you, man. I get it. Now, anything else you want to bring up before we go? Or it's time to land the plane. Hey, brother, I'm good, man. I'm good. I appreciate you having me. Awesome. If anybody wants to reach out and uh, pick your brain on any of the stuff we've talked about, what's the best way to, to reach Mr. Dane Williams? Yeah, so uh, hit me up on any of the social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever you're at. You just search for Dane Williams. I'm good. You can Google me. I'm the one that's not a dead surfer from Dateline episodes. I'm the other Dane Williams, but uh, you, oh, you can find me pretty easy. Yeah, it's like, man, I'm never going to get to beat the Dateline episode, Dane Williams. I'm going to have to sell a lot of insurance for that to happen, but... Uh, now, you know. the, uh, the only other James Jenkins that Googles consistently is a former NFL player from like 20 years ago. But if you Google my name, th this NFL guy shows up. So one of these days I'm going to buy my domain and just make it a .com thing and I'll finally beat him out. But I don't know. He's, a, he's an NFL player, so he kind of owns the name a little bit. That's yeah, tough. It's a tough spot. Eventually, you'll just be so far removed that you can have it though and you can be the supreme James Jenkins. Someday, you know, it's goals, right? Yeah. Own your name on Google so all other people that have your name see you instead of them when they Google themselves. There you go. <laughs> it's the yeah. ultimate uh, chest thump, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> all right. Hey, folks, this has been another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. He is Dane Williams. He is, uh, what is your title anyway? You know, yeah. insurance extraordinaire, partner, you know, whatever. What is your title? I don't even know what to call you. Yeah, we, we've gone back and forth on that. I don't really know either. I just lead circus master. I'm not real sure. Ringmaster. Uh, I, I think insurance advisor is what I go with because that okay. felt more approachable. But I think I've had like five different business cards with different titles because I just can't make up my mind. He, he's a guy who does some things That's in Memphis, Tennessee. 
And awesome. uh, that's it for this episode. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We will talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is. To, to fix a problem, the first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.